If you have your Bibles, we've been talking out of the Christmas story. Turn to Luke chapter 1. You know, the, the Christmas story, and I'm not sure I'm going to read all of Luke chapter 1. It's, it's got so much good stuff in it about how both Elizabeth and Mary, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but both Elizabeth and Mary have unique visitations. And I don't know who's for us. Are you back there on the screen? Hey, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause you to hang out there so far tonight because I don't know what's going to come up on the screen and where I'm just going because I got something stirring in me that may be different than the screen. So we'll work together on this, all right? But Luke 1, I am, I am talking about that beginning with verse 5. And actually, that's the story of Zacharias when he hears um, the announcement that he is going to be um, a father again with Elizabeth. And it's the story, the initial story of John the Baptist. You know, the Christmas story certainly uh, emphasizes Jesus, but in those first chapters, we, we cannot neglect the fact that as Jesus came and was going to move amongst us as human beings, there had to be a forerunner. Somebody had to prepare the way. Uh, somebody had to cut a path or cut a swath. And that was John the Baptist's call. And uh, this particular time period, and, and I just kind of like to let my mind sort of muse and meditate on what it must have been like in this particular era. You know, the Christmas story is really a story that tells us the tale of an incredible spiritual transition. Is that not true? You, you think about the incredible transition that was going on in the earth when Jesus showed up. I mean, an old covenant was being fulfilled. In fact, the Bible would tell us that when Jesus would show up, he would fulfill the old covenant. Now, <clears throat> you have to read the whole, the whole scripture to get this. He, he, didn't, he didn't obliterate it. He didn't make it obsolete in the sense that when he came, he fulfilled it and it became complete in him. And, and so can you imagine everything you'd known for millennium was all of a sudden changing? I mean, you think how hard that would be. Things were never going to be the same again. The way Israel was going to be challenged to do religion, the way they were going to be challenged to interact with God, the revelation they were about to receive, the instruction that was about to go forth. I'm not sure that we can fully appreciate the level of stretching these people went through there in Palestine, ancient Palestine, when Jesus shows up. I mean, we look at this now after a couple thousand years, don't we? And, and we've been born again and we look at the accounts and we look at people who are struggling with Jesus and, and they're not receiving Jesus. And there's something I think at times inside of us that go, how blind can you be? How dumb can you be? I mean, he's the Messiah. Come on, get with it. How could you miss it? And, and you know what? I don't think we fully appreciate what it took to stretch and to transition and to change during that time. Now, because when we look at him and we judge him, don't judge him too quickly because, folks, we can't hardly handle change when we just repaint the wall. Or put in new color. Or if one Sunday you were to come in here and, and I were to have taken out all of these chairs and I were to put in benches... Oh, sweet Jesus. I, let, let me, you say, well, I wouldn't do it. Well, maybe not you, but I, I'm just telling you, I'd hear it. 
And, and you know what's, what's interesting is that, is that here they are working through everything they've known to be true and, and, and good and right. And, and, and listen, it was God. Now, not all of it was God, but some of what they were doing was God. And now they're having to transition all of these things. I mean, and we're looking at them and judging them. And yet we're struggling with these piddly things. And we think they're the ones that are somehow sub-spiritual. I'm just trying to make a point here. See, we're living in times. Listen, listen to me. And this is going to kind of be teaching and prophetic at the same time. We're living in times, I believe, that are bringing us closer to the return of the Lord. And, it, and, it, and it's paradoxical. The paradox is I believe he could come before the night's over. I, I believe that. I could prove that by the scripture. Everything we know, everything we've been taught, every prophecy that's ever gone forth has been fulfilled. He could come before the night's over. Now, knowing that, I, I still understand that the scripture tells me that there are things he wants to do and complete and how all that's going to work together, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I understand how all of it's going to work together. He just tells me to occupy or to continue to do business until he comes. And I know that there are certain things he wants to do when he comes. And, 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 and he's wanting to get us ready, I believe, for the greatest harvest, the greatest days. I believe he's restoring things in the life of the church. He's restoring things in our life. I am of the persuasion that when the church... Is, is taken out of here. We're not going out with our tail between our legs, Andrea. We're not going out impotent, but we're going to be a spotless bride. We're going to be a powerful bride. He's coming for a church that looks a lot more like the book of Acts. You see, this is what I believe. I don't believe God ends it in any way uh, less than how he started it. Our God does not end in a diminished fashion. He ends even greater than he started. That's why he's God. And so however the church started, I know that at the end, it's going to be at least like that. And I believe even greater because that's what Jesus said. And so in order for us to be in that, in order for us to be that, do you know there's going to be a lot of spiritual change and transition that's going to happen to happen to all of our lives? Because I'll be the first one to admit, and hopefully you'll just admit and confess right along with me, that while I admire the book of Acts and while... I affirm the book of Acts, and while I want the book of Acts, I can't always say that the book of Acts is happening in my life all the time. Can you? No, let's just be honest. No. Honesty is the first way to the heart of God. But he's getting us there. He's getting us there. And in order to get us there, there's going to be incredible spiritual transition. And so it might be wise for us to prepare for a God-inspired transition. Now, some of these transitions you're going to love, and some of them may be real hard. You know, it was uh, Mark Twain who once said that the only person that really enjoys change is a wet baby. And boy, there's a lot of truth to that, too. In fact, the older I get, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, you know, when I was young, change was easy. It just, as I get older, change gets a little more difficult. And, uh, I don't want it to be that way. And in my mind, I understand it can't be that way. But that doesn't mean I don't kind of gravitate to that. I have my ways. Do you have your ways? <laughs> Some of you have your, your Christian ways. But we're going to have to get real flexible with the Lord. So we've got to prepare ourselves. Now, Zacharias... And Elizabeth. Now, I'm not going to read all of Luke 1, 5 through 22. It's the story of Gabriel showing up and he's talking, he's talking to Zacharias about this birth. 
And as he talks to them, he begins to share with them how Elizabeth is going to have this, really it's going to be a miraculous birth because they're older, they're an older couple that are going to have this baby that will eventually be John the Baptist. And Zacharias instantly, instantly doesn't want to hear it. He wasn't in the baby market. He wasn't in the baby line at the last prophecy conference because he was wanting a child in his household. I guess he thought that the baby rearing years were over, but God had different ideas. I'm just kind of commenting as I go along. Now, I'm not saying to you women, so don't get nervous, that you're going to have a baby. Some of you may want a baby, and that's great. God would love to give you one. But I'm really not talking so much about a natural baby, but but for all of us here, I, I am telling you that, that God wants to birth things in us. And when He births things in us, um, you may not be in the market for that birthing. You may not be in the market for that child. Now again, it's not, it's not the natural human being child. It's the child of whatever the promise is that God has for you. And listen to me, it's God's promise, not just your promise. Are you on the same page with me? It's God's will, not just your will. God is not just facilitating your dreams and desires. He has changed your heart in order that you might desire what He wants for you. That's why it's so important that, that our heart is transformed because we, we, we have to want His will in our life. And so He has great and precious promises, but those great and precious promises are not just you to be facilitated in your flesh so that you get everything that you want. Because I'll just share this with you. Some of us that have lived a little bit longer can help you with this, that you'll get things that you want. And have you ever noticed that once you get it and, and you get to have it for a while, that after a while it loses its luster? Isn't that funny how kids will get their, their favorite gift under the Christmas tree and they'll play with it for half a day on Christmas and then it loses its luster, doesn't it? I mean, I remember when I was young and I wanted a Hot Wheel set. And man, I just, it was just, I wanted it and wanted it and wanted it. And my parents got me this Hot Wheel set. And oh, you know, you know how it is. You set it up, you run it, and you run it, you run it, you run it until you wear the batteries down. You put new batteries, you run it some more. But I'll tell you, within a week, that Hot Wheel set had no, had no draw for me anymore. I was done with it. That's life. Go get your new house. Live in it for a month. And it's just a house. Get your new car. Take it to the grocery store. Get your first door ding. You'll want to cuss, but after that, it's just a car. It loses its luster. What doesn't lose its luster? God's will. And His plan and His purpose in your life. And so here's Zacharias and Elizabeth, and, and, and God's telling them what His will is for their life in order to bring forth John the Baptist. They weren't in the baby market. But it's interesting, babies, I put up here, are God's sign gift of transition and blessing. I've said this for years, even in the life of the church, that when God sends babies to the nursery, what God is saying is, is that that's a sign gift and get ready, transition. There's, there's important transition that's happening because the children are a sign gift to us. So when you see children coming on the scene, uh, that's a good thing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That's why the enemy wants to destroy the children and destroy a generation. And, and I can't get off on that again. Now, Zacharias was a righteous, ethical person. He was serving in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever read this, but he's interacting with this angel. Now think about this. He was comfortable interacting with angels. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, this angel shows up, and nowhere in the Scripture does it say that Zechariah goes, Whoa! Wow! I can't believe it! It just says he just starts having this interaction with him. And when the angel speaks to him and tells him all of this, the angel says ostensibly, now this is me, I'm just, I'm trans, this is my translation. The angel basically says, Zacharias, I've got good news. <laughs> and I, I've, got, I've got some bad news, so to speak. The good news is, is that God is going to send you a baby. And that baby's going to be a forerunner that's going to do some incredible things. Zacharias, Elizabeth is going to give birth and you're going you're to be the father to a nation shaker. You're going to father a world changer. I mean, you're going to be blown away by the ministry and impact of this child. I mean, it's going to be an incredible thing. And, and you would have thought he would have said, amen. But then I guess it started to hit him because the bad news sort of got absorbed in it. And, and the angel then looks at him and says, but you're going to have to raise him. And not only are you going to raise him, listen to this. He says, you're going to have to raise him as a Nazarite. Now, I don't even know if I'm going to get to the Nazarites tonight. You can go read it if you want to read about Nazarites in Numbers chapter 6. But raising a Nazarite isn't easy. Because a Nazarite lived against the winds of the culture. A Nazarite had certain restrictions or stipulations put upon them. And they did these things as unto the Lord in order to prepare them for a life of service. Now, can I just share this with you? I, I mean, we all want to raise up our children as Christian children and, 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 and have a godly heritage. But get this, I'm trying to make sure you're getting this in your system. God's looking at Zacharias and he's saying, Zacharias, I'm not talking about you're just going to have a good kid and an ethical kid. And, he, you know, he's going to do good Christian things. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with that. But the angel wasn't declaring average here. The angel was declaring nation shaker, world changer. I mean, things are never going to be the same again, not only in your house, but in the earth. They're never going to be the same again. And guess what? You, you, you get to raise it. Oh, me. Oh, me. I mean, I, I have three children. I am looking around the room. Some of you have children. Some of your children are, are raised and, and gone. Others have uh, children that are maybe even young and small and in the house. Uh, I've had uh, three children. Actually, my wife had them. I just, I was around for the ride. Um. You know them, Clayton, Tyler, and Kaylin, and, and uh, you know, we love our children. You love your children. We, uh, we felt like they had a destiny on their life. You feel like your kids have a destiny on their life. And uh, it doesn't matter uh, how spiritual you may be. Can I just share with you? <laughs> it's a challenge. It's a challenge raising them up and into a destiny. In fact, I always like to quote the verse where it says, raise up a child in the way... They should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I know many people can interpret that as many things, which is like if you give them a Christian upbringing, that somewhere, maybe down the road, when they, they get off the path or they're wayward, that because of what was sown in them, they'll come back. And that is true. That verse is, is true in that. But, but I want you to listen to my emphasis here for just a moment. It says, raise up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, I remember the first time that lit up to me like that it suddenly dawned on me that I was not to raise up a child in the way I wanted them to go. Now, hear me, they have to go in God's way. Now, my, And there has to be certain 
foundational things that they have to grab hold of in order to be in God's way. So don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we facilitate their selfishness and their craziness and their immaturity. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that they have a will, that God has a will for their life. He has a plan for their life and a purpose for their life. He knew them, the Scripture says to Jeremiah, I knew you in your mother's womb, and it was in your mother's womb that I called you to be a prophet to the nations. He said, I've called you to, to tear down and to root up and to cut away, as well as to build up and to restore. And so, so children, even in their mother's wombs, have a destiny. And a part of our responsibility as we're raising them is to bear witness to that destiny and to raise up a child in the way they should go. My job as a parent is that I am to help them do the will of God in their life. And I'll be honest with you, I have a lot of ideas on what they ought to do in their life. But that's not my job. My job is to help and empower God's will in their life. And so, so anyway, the, the, Zacharias is, is wanting to, uh, uh, wanting to uh, raise him or dealing with the issues of raising him. And all of a sudden, he's confronted with life never being the same again. He's confronted that life is never going to look the way it was. You know, I can remember when finally... Uh, Clayton and Tyler had got to the age where I could go to a restaurant finally and sit down and enjoy the whole meal. I didn't have to get up in the middle of the meal, especially with Clayton, and go to the bathroom three, four, five times in the meal, whooping his tail, just to get us through that restaurant. I didn't go to a nice restaurant, Andrea, for a decade. I mean, the best one I could go to was, you know, something maybe one step up from McDonald's because, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it, I can't even, you, if, I know when you see the young man now, you can see such destiny. I'm telling you, it's God. He's alive. Oh, man. Anyway. And, and so I know exactly how Zacharias feels. I mean, I finally I can get I can finally get to a restaurant. Then God says, you know, hey, you're going to have another one. <laughs> no, and that you you don't understand, Lord. <laughs> obviously, obviously, you don't understand. Have you ever been like that with the Lord? Oh, you obviously aren't looking at my situation. <laughs> and God said, Oh, I got your situation. And, 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 of course, Kalen came along, and I can't imagine life without Kalen. But, you see, I, 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 wasn't, see, I wasn't ready for some transition. See, I wasn't ready for change to come into my life. I had, I had my life figured out. Now, listen to me. Was I still preaching the gospel? Yes, I was preaching the gospel. Was I still doing the work of the ministry? Yes, I was doing the work of the ministry. Was I still loving God? Yes, I was loving God. But you see, you can be just like that. You can be like Zacharias and Elizabeth and you can be doing all the right things and somewhere in your life you can look at God and you can call a time out and say, Lord, I've, I've done everything I know to do, but I'm not going any further. And God says, that's not how it works. That's just not how it works. You can't go, but you don't understand. You made me raise Clayton. Doesn't that give me a reprieve? And God said, I don't care. You say, but Lord, I, but they, but they don't, how come they don't? Because I'm not talking to them. Well, yeah, 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 but there's so many people. I could point out a whole group of them over here and they could use a little inconvenience in their life. No, no, no. You see, I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with you. And that's what was going through Zacharias as he's looking at that all of a sudden change. 
Change and transition is no longer theory to Zacharias anymore, is it? But now it's become reality. In order for him to do the will of God, in order for him to be obedient, it's no longer theoretical, but it is reality. You know, that's the amazing thing about obedience, isn't it? It takes it out of the realm of theory. And now it looks you in the eye and says, will you do it? Will you do it? Now, how do you, how do you prepare for something like that? Let me give you a couple quick things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here in just a second. But how do you prepare for that kind of change? Number one, let me ask you this question. Do you expect divine interruptions in your life? Do you? No. Some of you say yes. Some of you say no. Can I just say this to everyone? I think we need to expect divine interruptions. I believe that God is alive and well and He wants to work in my life and, and, and we need to anticipate divine interruptions. That God may interrupt our life. I'm, now, I'm not saying, you know, hourly or daily. But, but I think we could expect that God on a regular basis through a year might have a divine interruption for us that he would have talked to us and say, you know what, I've got some things for your life. i got some things I want to do. i got some promises that I want to unfold in your life. But you know what? How you are right now and the way you're going right now, I can't get them to you. So guess what? Change is going to happen. Now listen to me. Sometimes change, change is not always like, like when this door opens, it's just always better. I've listened to people for years say, well, you know, you know it's God if it's always better. And it's always better. Well, I believe God always gets us to someplace better. But you know what? Sometimes the doors He opens to my natural eyes don't always look better. Can I just simply say, Zacharias, as he's listening to this divine interruption and he's told that a new baby's going to come into his house, at that moment, that interruption didn't look better. I'll never forget when Tracy sat me down and played the cassette recording of Kathy Lechner prophesying over her that we were going to have another child and, and, and she's got tears streaming down her face. And to be candid, if I was honest with you, I knew what God was saying, but it just didn't fit in with my plans because as I'm listening to this, I'm saying to myself, how could that be better? Lord, if there's another child in my house... It's less time. I've got less money. I, you know, I can't give like I was giving. I'm not going to have the time like I, and I can go down the list, Lord. Come on. How could that be better? And the Lord says, it's my will. Are you ready to go with my divine interruption? So sometimes it doesn't look better to the natural eye, but it's God's will. You got to expect divine interruptions. Secondly, you got to keep your confession straight. You got to keep your confession straight. Say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the minute Zacharias was challenged with a transition in his life, apparently, as he's beginning to speak here, because um, he begins to say some things with regards to how's this going to happen. In verse 18, he says, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. And what's interesting to me is for Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were in the ministry, they knew another story in the Bible would they not, of an old man and an old woman who had a child they weren't kind of expecting? You remember Abraham and Sarah? So there was like scriptural precedent for this to happen. And here he is. He's going, how can this happen? How can this be? And he's totally neglecting even the scripture that he probably knew by heart. And so what did the angel do? The angel zipped his mouth for nine months. The scripture says he was unable to talk for the whole pregnancy of Elizabeth. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that the reason this happened was is because if 
the angel would have allowed Zacharias to continue to speak, I believe he would have cursed the very thing that God would, would, have, would have wanted to do in his life just by virtue of his words. God still is linked to our words. And, I, and I'd just be willing, if I were a betting man, to say that even if Zacharias, after he heard all this and, and, and the angel went away, I would bet for the next nine months he'd probably be saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe that God would do this. I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not dragging my feet, Lord, but I just really don't understand it. It just does because that's the way he was going. And so the angel literally just zipped his lip. You got to keep your confession straight. Or God will zip your lip. You got to keep why he wants you to speak his will. Come on, you need to say, I want God's will for my life. I want his plan. I want his purposes. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is my wife's favorite verse, says, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Do you understand that God's will is to prosper you and not to harm you? His will is to do good things in your life, to bring fulfillment and contentment in your life. And a lot of times we're struggling with God's will. When if we just say yes, we find the goodness of God in all of that. So we've got to keep our confession straight. I want your will. I want you to do this in my life. Now, I'm just giving you my story, and you've heard these stories before. But, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of went into that when Kaylin was in the, in the works. I kind of went into that thing with my feet dragging a little bit. I certainly wasn't going to be disobedient. And, and so uh, Tracy had become pregnant. And through that pregnancy, she had a miscarriage. And I'm telling you, God dealt with me in that miscarriage probably dealt with me more than he dealt with her because I felt like I killed that baby because I, I, my heart wasn't right and my confession wasn't right. And literally I had to go before the Lord and, and he had to do a work on me. And you know, the story how trace eventually got pregnant again. And at about 10, 11 weeks, the fetal pole, the heartbeat could no longer be heard. And we literally had to lay hands on her stomach. And to this day, and I have an obstetrician that will confirm this. He confirmed this later that we literally spoke that heartbeat into existence in her womb. And that baby became Kaylin Rama, The thing which the Lord has spoken. And so uh, I'm just telling you, don't learn it the hard way. You know, whenever pastor's teaching you or preaching to you and telling one of his stories, I'm not telling you my stories just because I get a chance to tell my story. I'm telling you something so you don't endure my pain. I mean, I mean, you ought to just learn from my pain. Is that okay? If I mess up and I tell you, maybe I can keep you from doing the same dumb thing I did. All right? And learning it that way. So keep your confession straight. Want the will of God. Desire His purposes in your life. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Don't worry about it making sense at the moment, but if it's His will, keep it straight. And then number three, you've got to understand God's unfolding assignment. And that is, is that the pregnancy was only the first part of the deal. Of course, there was the stretching of the whole pregnancy. There'd be the birth of John. There'd be the raising of John as a Nazarite. And of course, there'd be the loosing of John in order that he might go and fulfill God's purposes. And just like Jesus, John, there's a lot of similarity between John and Jesus. They were cousins, obviously. But, you know, John, I think in some ways was purposed to die early as well as he prepared the way of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said of John, there was none greater. That's high affirmation, isn't it? is when the Lord says, of all the prophets, there is none greater. But God has an unfolding assignment in our life. And so wherever you're at right now, and whatever's going on in your life, if it's the Lord, praise His name, enjoy it, affirm it, 
embrace it. But, but I'm telling you, hold it in such a way that His will can continue to unfold in your life. Because I believe until the day I die, God's going to be unfolding His will for my life. I'm 51 years old. I fully intend to live deep into my 90s. Preaching the gospel, not just living. I'm not going to be on you know, life support in my 90s. And everybody says, well, he said he'd live in his 90s. And there I'm, <gasps> you know, I'm, that's not, uh, I'm going to be preaching the gospel into my 90s. But, but, but 39 years from now, or more, plus, this is what I believe. I believe God's will will have unfolded even more in my life. That, that it, will, it will expand. And you need to see that in your life too. That wherever you're at right now, you're not at the end. You're not at the, you're not at the postscript. You're not, you're not at the concluding chapter. It's not the epilogue. God has more things He wants to unfold in your life. And so spiritual transition. The Christmas story is all about changing. And, 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 and you have the capacity to let God help you through your change. Amen? Come on, I want to change if I know it's God's change. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that He'll transform us from glory to glory. Whatever glory you enjoy right now, here's the good news, there's more glory yet to come. He'll take us from faith to faith. Whatever faith you have right now, the good news is there's still more faith that you can walk in. And the Christmas story just underscores all these things. Amen. Let's stand, will you?